Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to another edition of Geek Time Radio. We're doing another interview show this week, basically because uh, Mondays, which is when we usually record the show, I am away in London on a super secret set visit. I can't tell you any more about it than that right now. Uh, we'll see what I can reveal when we're back on for a regular show next week. But because of that, we're going to put out two interviews this week. Some really interesting stuff. It's kind of a bit of a production designer special. First person we're going to talk to is we're going to catch up with Seth Reed. We spoke to Seth about a year ago. He was the production designer on shows such as Supergirl. He worked on The Expanse. He worked on Salem and uh, also worked on the Cosmos series, which was absolutely brilliant. His latest work, though, is on a show for National Geographic called The Long Road Home, which has just started airing on National Geographic UK over here. Uh, It's airing Tuesday nights at 9 p.m., the first episode has already gone out, so uh, it hadn't at the time when we recorded the interview, but it has gone out now. The Long Road Home is based on the New York Times bestselling book by the journalist Martha Radatz. It tells the story of an event that took place in April 2004, where a small platoon of soldiers from the 1st Cavalry Division of Fort Hood, Texas, were ambushed whilst in the maze-like Baghdad suburb of Sadar City. It was a day that would become known in military history as Black Sunday. Seth was given the job of basically recreating a very large area of the city so they could use it to film. It ended up with them constructing and modifying over 113 structures on an army base in Texas, because obviously it's quite difficult to shoot in Baghdad. So um, it was a massive 12-acre set that they dealt with. So he's talking about the background involved in building that set and also working very closely with a lot of the guys that were actually there and uh, how bringing some of those guys on board and letting them see the set and some of the guys actually worked as advisors on the show just helped work through the event for them you know uh, one of the most traumatic experiences they're ever going to go through and uh, help them work through it and help their PTSD and um, the effect that working on this series had on them So it's a really interesting interview. We've got that coming up first. Then we've got an interview with another production designer called Eric Carlson, who's absolutely fantastic. But uh, I'll tell you a bit more about that after the interview with Seth. 
So um, here's the interview with Seth Reed. I hope you really enjoy this. We'll see you afterwards for the next interview. Hi, Seth. Hey, Dave. How's it going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm great. Good. It's nice to be talking to you again. I know. It's been almost probably very close to exactly a year, which is amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I was just looking because the previous call showed up and it was the 11th of November the last time we spoke. So yeah, oh almost, almost dead on a year since last time. Yes. So how's your year been? <laughs> um, it's been an extremely busy year, I got to say. Have you seen any of the images of uh, Long Road Home? Because it's just been one thing after another. I've I've been looking at a few shots today. Yeah, I mean, uh, phenomenal looking <laughs> series. I mean, The Long Road Home is, is the new show that you're on. And yes. basically retelling an event which happened in, in Iraq but you obviously weren't shooting in Iraq. You were shooting in Texas. Uh, just explain a little bit about the set that you built, because it's ridiculous, the set that you built. Sure. Um, it's a sort of a double whammy, the set, because first of all, we're shooting on a military base, right. and we're, we're shooting in one of their training villages, which really was designed to look like Eastern Europe rather than um, it's sort of like the Middle East. So right. the geography and the architecture and everything was kind of really wrong. But at the same time, we were on a military base where we had tremendous advantages, such as we could blow things up. <laughs> uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, the, the military really helped us out. They allowed us to do a lot and they gave us equipment and they gave us resources and they let us go ahead and make a lot of additions and alterations to their training village so that uh, you end up with these big, long streets. Like we had one street that was almost 800 feet long wow. and we had a, we had six intersections that we built in um, that we were able to add at the end of the day, we added about uh, 1,700 feet to their existing training village. But at the same time, we made about 3,000 feet of two and three story high buildings. <laughs> That's nuts. I know. It's pretty crazy. That's completely insane. I mean, it's it's apparently it's been billed as the largest standing set in North America which is is just insane for a show <laughs> which is I mean you know National Geographic's only fairly recently got into doing these sort of dramas and you know for National Geographic to kind of agree to to fund something of this level is is crazy it's but uh, it works so you know <laughs> I think National Geographic is re very very pleased with the product and I mean there's so much integrity in this project. There's so much about the veterans, the soldiers, um, and so much interplay between the real soldiers that survived and are around to comment and the actors. Uh, we've got a lot of situations where generals and gold star families and all uh, former uh, veteran soldiers all coming through the set to experience this set as almost a cathartic and and growing experience to help bring them back but 
change their point of view a little bit. Um, and we really watched, we really watched it help people. I mean, that, that must've been so eerie for them. If you're building a recreation of something where probably the most tra- traumatic event they've ever had in their lives has happened and, and you're recreating it and they're allowed to walk through it in a sort of safer way, which must be so strange for those guys. That's exactly right, David. We, we actually went to great pains to create, recreate the exact intersection on route Delta where the alley was. So the buildings at the corner all match as best as we can tell. They obviously we can't actually go there, but we have a lot of photographs. So we, we tried to match exactly what the real intersection. So you, you do get these reactions from soldiers that say like, yep, I remember this spot. (laughs) And it's pretty great. Yeah, that that must be amazing. I mean, for you as the production designer, I mean, we when we talked last time, the shows that we were mainly talking about was The Expanse, which you know is amazing, and Supergirl you've worked on. So, so this is quite different to your wheelhouse of, of sort of you know sci-fi and and that sort of stuff. How did the project come to you? The project came to me through the producers of Cosmos. Ah, okay, yeah. Uh, so I've got a kind of a connection and a little bit of experience in sort of scripted historical or I don't know what you would call a scripted reality, which is a genre that works really very closely with what National Geographic is. But many years ago, I did From the Earth to the Moon as one of the art directors or as the art director. Right. Um, a very busy show, very ambitious for HBO. And then more recently doing Cosmos, which is science-based and historical. So it gave me a great insight into doing this. Um, And really, whereas The Expanse, let's say, was very designed and it was science-based and reality-based, this is is reality-based and less ex- less perfect exclusive design and a lot more trying to just get it exactly right for the guys. Yeah. Did you know going into this project how big the sets were going to be? At first, no, because we looked, uh, we looked around. We went to Jordan. We went to Morocco. We thought about going to Mexico. So at first we were trying to escape having to build zillions of sets. And we thought that maybe we could do as many others have done and we could go to Morocco or something and just Mm. sort of put this together. I think as we got to know the project better and as we understood the scope and the kind of control that we needed, it became more and more appealing to just stay in a place that we could really control and figure out how to get authenticity and scope by building it in. And uh, so that was a big request from the art department. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, particularly if you're dealing with a lot of explosions and that sort of stuff, it makes more sense to to control that environment as as much as you possibly can you mentioned uh, being on a military base do you using some of the uh, military guys as extras and stuff on on set as well weren't you yes we had scenes where we had the soldiers and we dressed them in the circa 2004 uniforms <laughs> we also were using because they were letting us use their equipment so we had m1 abrams tanks we had Bradley fighting vehicles. We had um, as background many of their service vehicles. All of those required 
actual army personnel to be driving or controlling them. Right. So we saw soldiers many, many times. You don't know if you're seeing a soldier or an actor uh, <laughs> in a scene. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. It must have been very kind of different for them, you know, <laughs> probably day, day for them rather than their regular training go be in a, in a TV show. <laughs> it definitely was. I mean, I, I have shots of M1 Abrams tanks driving through flaming streets with explosions all around them, uh, fake RPGs being fired and fake machine gun hits on the walls. So for them, in one sense, it was fantastic training. I mean, they were getting closer than they ever would, um, especially at the training village where they're able to actually simulate everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this was a miniseries. So, you know, there's, I'm assuming there's not going to be kind of a follow up from this. So that with that set now, is it going back to being a training village for them? Yes. Unfortunately, we were building quickly and the military needed more time to evaluate how to keep these sets permanent. And I, I think they were very sorry because we were trying to get them to sort of step up and let us keep them. But it would have required extra work uh, to protect the sets and keep them stable. Mm. Um, so at the end of the day, I think everybody agreed the best thing to do is tear them down, which was very, very sad to do because they they came down very quickly of course after all of these months and months of tedious work (laughs) yeah yeah it's a shame they didn't manage to to keep it all up because you would have thought i mean having a training ground that sort of size you know may have been quite useful to them as well it's a shame they couldn't keep it they were really sorry that we hadn't worked this out better and we kept we kept once we were built and they kept coming like how what can we do what can we do and we're trying to figure out solutions for them I just don't think we could pull it off. It was just too busy and too fast. Yeah, yeah. Such a shame. I know. So what was the trickiest bit of working on the show for you? As far as putting together um, this project, I I think that there was a tricky bit of planning. I mean, we are on a television budget and not on a movie budget, and we're really trying to squeeze every bit that we can out of a gigantic scope of a project and and make it work. So I, I think it was very careful planning. We ended up setting logistically putting all of our major sets fairly near to each other, but still separated on the same 12 acre site. So I would say it was the logistics were very, very tricky on the project to figure out how to get it all to work, uh, having often two shooting companies shooting parallel to each other. We had a major project with all the military vehicles because at the end of the day, we still needed our actors to drive many, many scenes where they're inside Humvees or inside uh, troop carrying trucks, LMTVs. So we needed to get our own of those and they needed to be interchangeable for different scenes. So I think the the project grew more quickly than any of us could even realize what was happening. Um, Very challenging in the picture vehicle department as well. Yeah, it's quite interesting. You're using quite a lot of, of their vehicles for it were you having to make modifications to any of their stuff were you allowed to do that or was it all just kind of literally driven kind of off the army base bit and into the set (laughs) no what happened was the m1 abrams tank which is now an m2 a2 tank actually so it's a slightly newer version of course and the bradley fighting vehicle both of those vehicles have adjusted and altered and changed so we couldn't touch those all we could do is let 
let them drive them through and and play them in all the ways that we could. But they're, I mean, they were they're amazing. Both of those vehicles, how durable they are, and we we drove them over scenery and crushed things with them. But we weren't ever firing the guns. So when you when you see it and you see the guns fired, that's all visual effects. Right. What we did have to do is take the Humvees and the troop carriers, and we modif- we bought our own from an army surplus source. <laughs> And then we had to modify those back because the current version of a Humvee is highly armored and very different than the older version. And in fact, probably this battle on Bloody Sunday is one of the reasons they realized they needed to uh, adjust the Humvees, for example, to be a much more of an urban fighting vehicle. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Just the whole scope of the entire thing is is quite impressive, and uh, you know, having the actual guys there as well for the actors to work off must have been a huge help to them. It started out interestingly because we were. I was talking to the soldiers, only myself and the showrunner at first, but I was talking to the soldiers a year ago or more. I was having phone conversations or email conversations with the with the soldiers that were there, yeah. asking. Um, do you remember what the hero house that you guys got stuck in? What did it look like? Can you make me a sketch? If I sent you a sketch, would it look familiar? Can you send me any photographs that you have? Some of these soldiers became very involved. Two of them lived locally right near the Austin area. So we decided to actually hire them. We weren't sure what would happen because all of the soldiers are quote retired, which means they they stopped at a certain point and they they basically they go fishing every day and they pick up their kids from school. So we were right. worried that they wouldn't be able to take it. Or and in fact the opposite ha- happened. We hired two of the soldiers in our props department where they were such experts on armament and equipment. We just couldn't believe it because. Clearly, everybody needs to know their M4 or their M16, every bit of it. And everybody remembers every little detail about their equipment, everything that they took with them into battle. So these soldiers started helping us more and more to the point that they were made, quote, technical advisors on the show. And they were present during a lot of the shooting. They, they really worked through their PTSD and they became present in the shooting and they, and they were able to sort of put this in its own cubbyhole of experience. I mean, it was amazing to watch. Yeah. Um, and then we would bring more, more and more soldiers kept showing up that I knew or that I had been talking to and they would come to visit the set and they would be with us on set and they were at the screenings, everything. Wow. It sounds like being involved really did help them heal sort of through that event, which is, is quite incredible. Yeah, it really, really did. It helped them a lot. And some of them, it's interesting, in a couple of cases, the real soldier and the actor became almost like best friends. And you, I have some pictures of them, all of us together, and I have pictures of them sitting across the table from each other, talking, exchanging information, you know, going, you know, river rafting together, you know, like everything. <laughs> it's pretty great. That's completely <laughs> nuts. The show airs on National Geographic over here, so I am very much looking forward to seeing it because it sounds really interesting, particularly the amount of detail that you've gone into with it. Just incredible. You will see graphics. You will see architecture that is very specific. 
you will see men and equipment and sort of visuals of things that I've been told over and over by both soldiers and by Iraqi citizens that this looks more authentic than they've ever seen before. So I think we created an amazing environment for them to play out this real life drama that, um, as the show progresses, it's going to build and build into more and more. And you'll see these amazing landscapes and you'll feel like you're there. That's the best I can say. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It, it looks like it's it's going to be a very interesting show for National Geographic. I will uh, definitely be watching when it comes on. Good. So uh, with this done, what are you doing next? I've been hugely engaged in personal stuff, with my uh, remodeling my mom's house. So right. Believe it or not, I haven't been looking for work lately. Okay. So I have actually on the horizon, I've got a lot of possibilities, but I don't have anything yet. Right. Okay. Well, I know. It must be nice building something that's not going to get torn down. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. My mom's house looks amazing and it just looks really great. <laughs> awesome. That's really good. And uh, my, my usual last two questions, uh, since it's, it's really year, so we'll do it again. What TV shows are you watching at the moment? Gosh, I, you know what? I don't know if I can answer that exactly. I, this, this is like you asked me this question last year and I had a whole list. But this year, I have to say I've been pretty blank. <laughs> um, I saw movies. I saw Get Out and I thought it was unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. loved it. And for it's all of the reasons that... It, it was so great as a social, almost almost a social commentary horror movie. I have to say, I just absolutely loved it. And of course, I just saw Thor Ragnarok, which was just killed me. It was so good. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's a phenomenal film, Thor Ragnarok. I haven't seen <laughs> Get Out yet, but I do want to see it. Uh, that's Jordan Peele's movie, isn't it? Yes. The, uh, yeah. He's uh, he, he's apparently doing a reboot of the Twilight Zone. Is the uh, latest thing that was apparently picked up. So uh, that's going to be yeah, interesting. It sure will be. Yeah. And um, the last question we always ask people is: If you had the opportunity to work on a show, past, present, or future, what show would it be? I'll tell you. If I could work on more shows like what I just did, this was the most single most uh, satisfying thing I've ever done. So I would love to just work for National Geographic and make shows about space and space travel and interesting episodes in history that are of a huge scale. That's all I would ever need to do from now on. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, well, I'm sure given the uh, positive response that from the few reviews that have come out already, I think that may be a case that they might want you back. So you should be okay. I sure hope so. <laughs> I'm going to write a letter to the head of National Geographic and just say, can you just hire me forever? <laughs> <laughs> Worth a try. <laughs> <laughs> Worth a try. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, catching up again, Seth. It's been really good. Cool. My pleasure, Dave. I shall talk to you in another 12 months. <laughs> Let's talk again until months we'll see what i've done yeah brilliant have a great day okay you too thank you bye 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 
So that was the interview with Seth Reed. Hope you really enjoyed that. The show's called The Long Road Home. It stars Michael Kelly from House of Cards, Kate Bosworth, who was in Blue Crush and various other things, and Sarah Wayne Kelly's from The Walking Dead and uh, Prison Break as well. That's on Tuesday nights at 9pm on National Geographic. The first episode has already gone out. So if you want to go back, that will be on the all the catch-up services. You can go and catch that there. But uh, it's a fantastic show. Very interesting. Well worth going to watch. The next interview we have is with another production designer called Eric Carlson. Eric, most recently, he's been working on uh, History 6, which is the show about Navy SEALs, which hasn't actually aired over here yet. They're hoping to air it either later this year or early next year on History UK. His most recent work before that was on a show called Manhunt Unibomber, starring Sam Worthington as FBI agent Jim Fitzgerald and Paul Bettany as Ted Krasinski, who is the Unibomber. For those of you that don't know your US history, Krasinski mailed or hand-delivered a series of increasingly sophisticated bombs between 1978 and 1995. He was incredibly careful not to leave any clues or fingerprints on anything, making it extremely hard for the FBI to track him down. So it was a huge case. They eventually caught him hiding in his cabin, which was out in the woods. The cabin itself has become quite an iconic thing. And uh, Eric goes on to talk about how he and his team had to go into painstaking detail to recreate it due to the fact that there are shots of it all over the internet if you ever go look for it. That's quite interesting. We talk quite a lot about that and and sort of working on a show that's based on uh, a real life event. He has also worked on a number of other incredible shows and movies. He worked on Desperate Housewives. He works on Episodes, which is due to come back for its final season in the UK fairly soon. He worked on Chris Nolan's first movie, Memento, which is an incredible movie if you haven't seen it. So he talks about um, designing the tattoos for Guy Pearce, which of course was a major part of that film. He also worked on the amazing Team America from the guys from South Park, which was a just brilliant brilliant film so we cover all of that in the interview so it's it's about 40 minutes long this interview but it's fascinating it covers all sorts of different things so uh, here's the interview with eric hope you really enjoy this i'll do some quick recommendations for shows coming next week at the end of this interview when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hi, Eric. Hello. How you doing? Great, great. Nice to meet you. Yes, nice to meet you too. I uh, I got a message saying he says something about he, he wants to do it later, something about a helicopter. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm working on a I'm working on a, a show right now about SEAL Team Six. Oh uh, yeah, called, right. Called Six. Yeah, uh, I did the last season last year in North Carolina, and this year we're doing it in Vancouver. And uh, so yes, we had to sprint out to go to the uh, Vancouver airport to look at a Huey that we're going to use in a right. uh, in one of our battle sequences. Okay, I get it. Okay, yeah. yeah. So thank you for delaying because yeah, I had to scramble <laughs> out and then drive back here. So I just walked back in the door maybe four minutes ago. So the timing worked out great. No problem at all. So you're based up in um, Vancouver then? Yeah, for this show, uh, I got here, I got to Vancouver uh, like May 22nd and right. I'm here till uh, basically the beginning of December. So doing 10 episodes, uh, 10 episodes here. So uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I went straight from Unabomber. Uh, it was basically, I had three days off. Uh, so I, I've been away from home. Luckily my wife moved up here for about two months, but otherwise I've been away from home for about a year and a half. Oh uh, God. By the end of this show, it'll be well over two years because the whole first season of six. And then, uh, I had about three weeks off and then went to Atlanta where we shot all of Unabomber. Right. So about eight weeks of prep on that and then shot the eight episodes there. And then basically went, uh, had three days off and went straight from Atlanta. I had two and a half days in LA with my wife where we sort of normally live and then came straight up here to Vancouver. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I suppose it's, it's fairly common for, for people in your industry having to do things like that, I guess. Coming more and more so. I mean, uh, you know, before the first season of six, you know, I went almost 16, 17 years straight in in LA every every show filming in LA and now everything you know at least most of the shows that are very interesting one hour dramas or uh, anything with kind of cool content that maybe is not necessarily a three camera show or a reality TV show those of most of those have moved out of Los Angeles just because yeah. it's so expensive to film and all that so you know now they're in atlanta a ton in atlanta i was shocked by how much this was in atlanta i am yeah. blown away by how much is filming in vancouver right now yeah uh, you know it's so much so that in both of those areas it's impossible to find a crew uh not just <laughs> wow crew, but uh you know camera department grip electric uh, across the board it's just it's really tough to find uh, uh to find a crew here i've been lucky in both in both uh, places had a great Great crew. Uh, I actually brought in Atlanta. I brought a lot of the crew from the first season of Six. Right. That was out of Wilmington, North Carolina. I brought uh, a lot of that crew just down to Atlanta, and most of them had to move to Atlanta anyhow because all the work sort of washed yeah. up out of out of Wilmington. So it it all they are kind of migrating down to Atlanta, and there's I don't know 42 shows in production at once in Atlanta. So it's it's, it's nuts. I mean, it, Atlanta's really taken off as as an area to shoot ever since Walking Dead going there. You know, yeah. so kind of yeah. actually just, had uh, their crew, their Cetras and crew. I had for the first three months on our show, really? and they were phenomenal. Yeah, really, it was honestly. And to go to Unabomber, it was there. It was the uh, Walking Dead Cetras and crew that really is responsible for almost every detail in Ted's cabin. Wow. Um, they really went nuts and went way above and beyond. And there's all kinds of little details that we got from all the FBI photos that were all in the, uh, the University of Michigan archives. But it's all, you know, like the shoes that uh, Ted had a whole set of shoes 
with a separate sole mounted to the bottom of the shoe that was in a smaller woman's size <laughs> so that when he went over to his neighbors to steal food, the footprints would be a size, you know, six and he wore <laughs> 11. So he had all this. So they, these guys recreated every little detail like that and really got into it. I mean, two of the guys, one of the guys showed up on his first day with us of prep wearing a Unabomber pin. Right. And, you know, right off the bat, we knew he was perfect. So uh, <laughs> there was there was a couple guys that really, they, they went deep. They went deep into the mind of Ted Kaczynski and recreated everything inside of his cabin to minute detail of, of aging and really got into it. It was, it was they were incredible. That really was a phenomenal crew. That's that's nuts. Yeah, I, I was looking up actually. I mean, obviously you've got photos and reference from FBI things, but the cabin itself actually still exists, doesn't it? It's isn't it? It is the shell. The shell still exists, and actually it helped out a lot. Our director, the the showrunner uh, Greg Utanis, he went with the real James Fitzgerald, and they basically did a field trip because they had, they had prepped this entire show. We started prepping last November. November, is that right? I think we started prepping last November. They had already started prepping the show in January, and it was planned to shoot in Pittsburgh originally. Oh, right. With a totally different crew. So they already had everything worked out. So, you know, a year before I ever started, uh, Greg had, had gone on a field trip with James Fitzgerald to the um, museum in Washington, D.C., where uh, they have a whole FBI museum set up. <laughs> and Ted's cabin is just the shell. It's not dressed at all. Right. But just the shell is there. So they went there and they did a whole little interview thing out there when they were there. And Greg took probably 150 photos of the cabin just with his phone, but every detail of the roof and how the type of siding it was. So we could see that it was, it was, uh, you know, just a thin sort of veneer siding, wood siding on there, mm. you know, how the studs were, how the roof kind of looked, uh, the material of the roof. So, and, and really all the aging detail, the oil and grease stains that were in there from Ted leaning against walls. Cause there'd be, <laughs> there'd be times where, Ted was in there for months at a time when it snowed heavily yeah. and had had to cut a hole in the floor. So there's a hole still, there's a whole little board on the floor that covers up the square hole that he had to cut to use to go to the bathroom uh, in winter. So it was just years, 25 years he was in the cabin. So it was years of oil and grease and stain of him leaning against the wall, you know, reading books or, you know, by lamplight. So it yeah. was just, you know, there was that grunge everywhere and then his bomb table is just covered in oil and wax and you know all kinds of, of gunk so getting getting kit getting greg's photos of that were were huge i mean getting the fbi photos were great for all of the dressing on the shelves because they really went sort of shelf by shelf and then pulled out each item and took you know the actual uh, official fbi photos of all the all the evidence yeah. you know, with a with an FBI ruler. So we recreated all of those shots so that we had our own that we used in the FBI offices. Yeah. Uh, but to be able to get that level of age and detail that the real cabin has and a lot of stuff that we couldn't quite figure out, uh, there's a lot of little quirky things that while we were building the cabin, mm. uh, Construction has a bunch of theories because there's a few sort of cross braces of two by four inside the cabin. And then there's some roof joists that are missing. So right. the guys we have a theory that at, during the winter on certain winters when there was heavy snow, that he was able to remove the roof joists 
holding up some of the roof and took those two by fours to reinforce the the sidewalls so that they didn't buckle in from the snow. Right. So, you know, even the guys, even the construction guys really got into the whole philosophy of how, why are there, because if you look at the, the actual photos of the cabin, you know, they're basically on two foot centers and then there'll be one missing and then there'll be, you know, two or three more and then there'll be one missing and they couldn't figure it out until they saw the same two by fours as cross braces uh, on the interior side of the walls. So, you know, it was, it was fun that everyone really kind of got into the whole philosophy of the entire you know, project <laughs> and, and, and the background of him. And, you know, I had a, a graphics guy or assistant art director, Bill, on that, that he probably more than anyone really jumped in deep and read all of Ted's letters because he kind of had to recreate all of Ted's letters really got into the manifesto versus all Ted's letters because he sort of had to bring out every comparison, side-by-side -side comparison yeah. uh, was written in the manifesto versus what was written in some of Ted's uh, letters to his brother, David, and how they were similar. So he kind of had to find those passages and highlight them versus what was in the manifesto and highlight <laughs> them. So he really, you know, he knew it a little too well. <laughs> Honestly, again, we had a few guys that really got into uh, into the mind of Ted Kaczynski, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but was, you know, at times disturbing. Uh, do, <laughs> and that's kind of the show kind of does it as you do kind of sympathize at times with Ted because yeah. his, message, his message was so dead on. And, you know, mm. it really, you know, it makes sense. And, you know, technology taking over our lives and this whole thing that this philosophy that he came up with, you know, 30 something years ago, 40 years yeah. ago, that is absolutely becoming true today. It's just that his, his method was so <laughs> messed up yeah. that, you know, you empathize with, the message, but are, you know, shock and awe by just the lack of caring of who he sent the bombs to. Yeah. You know, his method was just messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Right idea with the message, wrong idea with the execution. <laughs> that's it. Totally. You know, that's it. That's it. And the guy was obviously brilliant. Uh, yeah. But it was, you know. <laughs> Obviously, there's a few moral screws. Yeah, you know? because it's it's based on real life, and you've got the FBI references and things you can go and look at. Does that make it easier for you as a production designer to create stuff rather than creating things from scratch? Huh, good question. I don't know that it necessarily makes it easier. In some ways, it makes it more of a challenge just because you are dealing with a known entity, so you know yeah. that you're it's going to get nitpicked that much more if you're creating a a, a room from scratch or uh you know on this show on on six we're creating um uh you know houses in chechnya or a, a black site in macedonia or serbia uh so no one's going to have a real good point of reference of what a cia facility in serbia looks like yeah so you have a little leeway and you can kind of you know you, you can use your own imagination and make it dark and grungy and no one's going to come you know online with a photo and say no this is actually what it looks like you guys are ridiculous uh, <laughs> this is so unreal uh whereas you know with ted's cabin it's kind of iconic and ted himself obviously you still see whether it's like the baby on board sticker there's vinyls uh, in the states with the baby on board with the mm. little baby the unabomber glasses and the unabomber hoodie so even though maybe the next generation doesn't millennials might not necessarily know the whole story of ted kaczynski the cabin itself is kind of iconic. His look is certainly iconic. So you know that people are going to be able to go online and basically do a Google search, image mm. search of 
Kaczynski's real cabin and yeah. they're going to uh, compare and contrast. Yeah. And Greg Utanis certainly knows that. And he, more than anyone, is was an absolute stickler about everything being dead on accurate, very period appropriate for mid 90s, which it's not really historical. You know, it's not really a period piece, but <laughs> we've we've had this discussion with some people that have done stuff in the 90s. And she was arguing that 90s is a period piece. So. <laughs> I mean, especially when you're dealing with people like FBI and yeah. getting their technology right, which was a lot more rudimentary than, you know, people, the sophistication wasn't there then where yeah. it is now, you yeah. know, in terms of the tech technology and DNA testing and forensic, just any sort of forensic testing was completely different than the way it is now. So it really was, there is, you do have to sort of treat it as a period piece and be, very time sensitive to to where they had it's not just the computers and the computer monitors which mm -hmm. was a big aspect in this but just where making sure that you are not implementing in our lab implementing a technology that they wouldn't have had for another 10 years of yeah. being able to solve a lot of these things even in terms of uh, pulling fingerprints right so yeah you really do have to treat Sadly, <laughs> you really have to treat the mid '90s as a period piece. Uh, so you know, it's tough to say if it's easier or hard. It's just I would say totally different. But I'd say every show, which is what's great about designing and television and film, is you know every every show is is different. Whether it's a half hour comedy, you definitely have your challenges there. I really I love the research aspect of the job. Yeah. Um, so because of that, I found. Unabomber sort of uniquely gratifying because it, it was so fun jumping into something that's real. Uh, yeah. not, not that the, the stuff on, on six and what SEAL Team 6 does isn't real, but we were kind of inventing it because we're creating Chechnya in, uh, you know, Vancouver, BC. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were obviously creating San Francisco and the Montana woods and all that in Atlanta. So there's those challenges, but just, uh, uh, I'd say the ca the cabin was definitely one that from the first day I was hired was really the main focus of getting that 100% right and making sure because knowing that there's going to be wide shots, but you know Greg loves doing all the macro work of really getting inside the typewriter, getting inside every bomb that he's making. So really getting into that minutia and being on the shelves at shelf height and going across the bottles of saltpeter and and <laughs> every. Everything he used to build the bombs or the food that he you know food that he ate or the, the you know the tide box that is seen in every you know photo of Ted's cabin, yeah. um, knowing that that Greg's going to be there with a super macro lens, uh, <laughs> you know, definitely adds adds the pressure, uh, you know, in a, in a good way because the end product looks i think looks looks great and you know it, it definitely helps you definitely helps you feel it, it was also gratifying when because we built a few different versions of the cabin and the first one we built was the full interior exterior shell that we put out in the woods yeah and having paul bettany there the first day and having greg there the first time he saw it and the writer andrew there the first time he saw it and have them be able to walk into the space close the door and feel like they were actually in ted's world you know, they all really kind of got off on the fact that it felt like they were in somewhat of a time machine. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and even uh, Andrew, the writer, really wanted to spend, it just, it didn't come down to being able to because of time, but he really wanted to spend a couple of nights. Uh, right. 
camping in the in the cabin because you know he'd spent years on this writing and researching and he he really knew you ask him any question about any document whether it was a letter <laughs> or uh, a letter that he wrote to new york times or washington post he knew he knew every detail wow so for him to see him kind of go into the cabin and absolutely geek out about it and <laughs> sit on sit on ted's bed and kind of close the door to have his little moment in there it was it was uh you know, it definitely made all those little pains of having to get everything exactly right. It made all that stuff totally worthwhile. And Paul Bettany was the same way when he walked in yeah. and uh, totally felt at home there and that everything was right. And, uh, you know, I don't think once we established, that, I don't think we ever changed a thing in, in the uh, in the cabin. So we had that cabin that we built as a full interior exterior shell. And then we built one on stage. That was about 10% bigger so that we had a little bit more room to film oh, yeah. uh, and could pull walls out to be able to shoot through and control light and all that. And then we had a third cabin that was really just a shell. So that's the one that's uh, hanging by the helicopter, the one that we placed on the truck for transport during the um, during the trial. We had one that just we didn't have. We had no interior. It really was just an exterior shell. So it was lighter so that the helicopter had an easier time yeah. pulling off of the stakes and and. <laughs> transporting it which was which was also pretty surreal it's nuts absolutely yeah. nuts so unibomber is is uh, you know the one show you've done recently uh you've got six as well you're working on other shows you've done state of affairs grandfathers uh you did episodes as well which is a show i absolutely adore that I, that was i'm assuming the first season of that because didn't they move all the production to to london no other way around so oh, okay I, Second season, I believe it is the second season. Because the first season they they shot almost entirely in uh in London. Right, yeah. Uh, they only spent, I think it was maybe a week, maybe a week and a half of shooting in LA just to do the exterior shots or of, uh, you know, the girls up hiking at Griffith Park. Yeah. Uh, stuff on the beach. Uh, but I think it was only maybe seven to 10 days of actual filming that they did first season. So second season, they actually split and they did half and half. Right. So I okay. did the, I did the, the US half and, you know, recreated a bunch of the sets that they had built or the location that they used in season one. We built sets for that in season two so yeah i did season i hope i'm right about this it was either season two or season three right uh, but then after that it was it was much like much th many things in los angeles it was it was much more expensive to film in la for that second season so for the following season they went back to their initial plan and shot almost all of it in london again yeah you know, to Los Angeles for a week or two of exteriors again. Yes, so, yeah. I I, I so, knew they'd they'd done something like that. So uh, yeah, that must be. I mean, because you a lot of that I guess is is shot around the film studios because you're actually using the studio itself as as the the bat. So so from your point of view, that that's got to be easier probably. I would have thought. It is. Yeah. No, it's funny. It is. Uh, that one. It was actually a lot of fun because you do. We we still build sets because you we had yeah. all the inter exterior interaction of them coming out of sound stages and being on set and being able to walk from set out to outside to their cars, get in their cars and walk around. Yeah. Uh, so you get to use and we shot most of that all at uh, at Paramount. 
uh, studios. I, I uh, so it was, it was you know, it was great to be able to shoot the studio as the studio. You yeah. know, you're, you're walking around. You know, you still dress it up like you do any location to make it make it even uh, feel yeah. even more so. You know, have someone in the background carrying a big piece of scenery or a, <laughs> or a backdrop or something to help sell the fact that you're on a, a on a sound lot or yeah. a studio lot. But uh, no, that was I, I that whole group. I actually very much enjoyed David Crane and those guys were all were all pretty fantastic and i was i was very impressed with how involved with every aspect you know wardrobe design production design props uh you know those guys you know usually when you get to that level you don't necessarily see <laughs> these running producers yeah. uh on set every day and they're on set every day so yeah. that was so that was that was pretty great yeah i was gonna say when when i saw that i thought the studio was probably paramount because if you're gonna shoot any studio in in hollywood paramount you've got to shoot paramount it's the prettiest out of all of them it's funny it's the second time i've shot paramount as par as the lot i did a show as an art director i don't know probably 16 years ago about uh brady bunch oh, right <laughs> and uh, I think it was called Growing Up Brady, but it was sort of about behind the scenes and the, you know the kids being wild and uh, you know everything that was going on with the studio at the time. Uh, so we actually because they shot at uh, the show originally at Paramount, so we used Paramount as the mm. as as really a big huge set where we did sort of the same thing yeah. but had to dress that up as the 70s and make all the you know the background cars and and really make it a big sort of big feeling uh location but using paramount which is is perfect because it, it feels like you're iconic they're in warner brothers and to some degree universal but they they yeah. warner brothers and paramount really have that kind of iconic studio lot yeah. feel there's still a great little back lot and uh you know all the all the fake facades yeah uh, uh, yeah, it makes me a little nostalgic. <laughs> I've, well, I've been for two years. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been over and done the LA sort of you know touristy thing and gone and done all the studio tours and stuff. But I, Paramount's still my favorite. I, I just adore that studio. It's beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. I I also still really like uh, Universal because we did we did yeah. all eight, eight years of uh, Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives yeah. So we had seven stages, and uh, then we had the whole uh, Wisteria Lane Street, uh, yeah. which was Colonial Street. So we had thirteen or fifteen houses on that street to to, to to play with. So it was fun being able to cruise around because it's such a massive lot. Yeah, too. yeah. So cruising around on the golf carts and going up to the hill every day and going by the Jaws exhibit, you know, the Jaws. <laughs> Yeah. Every day, just I mean, it was you know, it was it was a, it was surreal every single day. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun lot that, and the the Wisteria Lane sets all still there, isn't it? It's part of the studio it's to all this. Yeah, some people have converted a few of them for other shows that have come in after yeah. you know, after us. But yeah, no, I still see it on on commercials, especially all the time, where you see a house that you know a bunch of the houses that we built for the show, mm. you know, in the background. So it's that that one's that was definitely also a, a unique experience and you know probably won't match that the other thing that you were uh, you worked on as well which was memento oh yeah which uh I, you know it's an incredible film and uh really kick-started christopher nolan's career yeah that was still it's probably one of the only i think it might be one of the only scripts i sent i sent it to my parents and i sent it to my brother to <laughs> also read at the time because i was so absolutely blown away by i think the other one I think I might have sent my brother that script for Team America just so he could 
read it. Uh, but those might be the only two scripts that I kind of, you know, snuck up to them and, and sent them just because I thought they were so over the top, amazingly talented. But Memento was just above and beyond. Yeah. I had never read anything like that before. And, you know, it was tough because it was fairly early on in, in my career and I was an art director then. And yeah. uh, so, of course, it kind of set the bar really high. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you, you go to some of that and then right after that, you you know, you work on a couple of you know movie of the weeks, which don't really exist anymore, or <laughs> uh, some other ones that aren't quite as engaging and interesting. Yeah. So you definitely, you know, when you do get, really good scripts you tend to appreciate them more and i know i appreciated memento at the time because it was just incredible but even looking back i don't know that i appreciated it enough i knew it was great but that that was sort of a once in a career kind of movie that uh you know that again everyone everyone knows everyone you know remembers uh so that 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 one and Christopher Nolan was also early on in his yeah. career. And honestly, my favorite part of the movie might have been Guy Pierce, you know, because uh, I designed most of the tattoos on there. So oh, wow. it was first, you know, movies. I'd worked on a couple of television shows before that, but it was one of the first movies, and I loved LA Confidential. So I was a little starstruck and a little nervous to meet him. So I had all the tattoos printed out in you know three or four different sizes uh, <laughs> to to hold up, you know, on his body to see where it. Would work out and he basically came into the art department took off his shirt and had a sharpie pen in his hand and had a pen that basically just said start drawing start drawing all the body it's like, it's weird. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I, and he sat in the art department for about two or three days and we worked out you know pretty much every tattoo on his body that's you know, crazy so that was yeah that was that one was a little eye-opening i was i was definitely nervous yeah at that show yeah, and as you mentioned there, uh, Team America as well. I mean, phenomenal. Uh, just working with, the, I, I, I know there are a lot of stories about how much they, the, the two of them clashed. I mean, they say it themselves that they, uh, that that they almost kind of ended their partnership doing that movie. But yeah, I mean, I think they, you know, uh, and, but mostly because they were still doing South Park at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah. They had the South Park. They had to move the South Park editor into they were in an office right next to our art department on that show and they would come up basically at every break and have to go into editing during lunch and i still i have no idea how they did that show yeah my own great story from that show is uh i designed the uh intelligence the computer that they interact with (laughs) i am a notoriously horrible horrible speller uh (laughs) I have uh, I have <laughs> dyslexia, but this is not really. <laughs> so uh, the computer's name was Intelligence, and I misspelled Intelligence, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then had to present you know the ideas to Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and you know they noticed it right right away, right off the bat. They're like, you know, did you did you mean to misspell Intelligence? I'm like, <laughs> no, uh, but. They absolutely loved it. The fact that intelligence was misspelled. So in the movie, it stays intentionally misspelled. So it was not an accident. It was a complete accident on my part. Uh, it stayed in the movie. Um, That's fantastic. I was uh, sort of mortified, embarrassed until they said they loved it and wanted to keep it in the movie. 
<laughs> that's that's just uh, nuts. That one was that yeah that one that that movie was an absolute free for all where you would have an art department meeting in the morning and the production designer would basically say okay you know who's who's designed a a limo that turns into a plane <laughs> all right who wants to say, oh. uh, you know, who's who's designed a, a submarine that looks like a shark. <laughs> Uh, it was just there was no wrong. You could basically do you know just a little bit of anything, especially doing you know Kim Jong Il's palace, and and uh, you were encouraged to go over the top. On yeah, that show yeah. Her, which was, which was great. It's funny speaking of of Paramount as we were earlier. Bits of that set are are in the uh, the props area of the studio tour in in Paramount. I, I didn't. I. <sighs> At the end of the movie, I had a few because I, I designed most of the vehicles for for the show. And so I got a few of the planes that they used uh, for a lot of the, the, the flying shots Yeah, and the North Korean jets. So I had two of the North Korean jets uh, in my little coll- memorabilia collection. Yeah, And, and we, my wife and I had just gotten our dog, who's now eight and a half. Uh, she was still a puppy and she when we were gone, somehow climbed and she's never torn up a shoe. She's never torn up, you know, socks or anything else of any importance whatsoever. We came back and she was probably nine months old at most and somehow had gotten up on the third or fourth shelf and taking down the two Korean jets, took them down on the floor and completely shredded them. So or there was there wasn't a piece bigger than that left on the floor. The only, it's basically my only, I haven't really collected any memorabilia from any other show ever, except for these jets from Team America that are now complete trash. Oh, that's such a shame. <laughs> I was crushed at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're cute and furry pets, but uh, <laughs> and, and lovable, but yeah, they can be a pain. Like, yes, so, so uh, yes, but um, yeah, absolutely. So we've we've been on nearly half an hour. I should let you go. A couple of final things. First of yeah. all, just a, a quick question: How did you get into production design? I only ask this because I've yet to meet a production designer that went, "I want to be a production designer," and got into it that way. <laughs> uh, I have the same story. Yeah. <laughs> I went to uh, I went to architecture school, and my last year of architecture school, just to fill credits, I took a film class. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, it was my my uh, last semester of senior year of architecture school, and the instructor had had worked in Hollywood. I have no idea in what yeah. to what degree, but he basically told me, "Oh, you should focus your final project. You should focus on something about production design if you're a designer, and you know how something gets built from scratch, whether it's architecture, how it gets built from nothing and built up." So that's when I first learned that there even was such a thing. <laughs> Uh, production design and then he kind of started telling me more and more about you know how sets only stay up for a little while you don't really have to be accredited <laughs> you're not going to get sued uh, a set stands for you know maybe six months and then it's on film forever uh, and everything about it and how because that that same semester in architecture school we were basically learning about sizing plumbing systems sizing uh, HVAC air conditioning right. systems and memorizing zoning and, and building codes, right. which I absolutely I, I hated every second of all <laughs> those those statistics and development issues and all the restrictions on building. And I was getting to the point where I didn't see how anything could ever get built that wasn't a square box. Yeah. And then there also there was this world where you can build anything and 
you know, there were no limitations whatsoever. And it just, you know, it was like, I guess if I don't really ever feel like I had an aha moment, but if there was one, it was probably <laughs> that of like, of just zero restrictions compared to this oppressive, everything is restricted. Yeah. And that, that was, honestly, that was the origin of it. And then uh, I built log cabins for a season in, in a ski town in Colorado <laughs> and straight from there to Los Angeles. And, uh, it was one of those stories of a friend of a friend of a friend of my parents knew somebody who did something like this, they think. So I, <laughs> I met up with that guy. He turned out to be an incredible production designer named Tom Walsh, who also was the president, uh, not at the time, but was the president of the Art Directors Guild for <laughs> 10 years or so. So I, he basically, some, for some reason, took me under his wing and basically more or less became my mentor for about 10 years. So I fell in with him and he was the original production designer on Desperate Housewives, and then I took over from him. Right. So I, in that sense, completely lucked out uh, that this friend of a friend of a friend of my parents <laughs> thought they knew someone. Actually, he actually did what they thought he he did. Wow. Uh, it, it, you know, one of those better lucky than good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I got with a, a good guy that was very patient about, you know, teaching me what the business is about and how, you know, and design and, and the whole process of, especially of television, how television gets made and really the speed at which television gets made, it, it, which is insane. You know, it's, it's incredible. You know, really we are doing, Unibar was the same way. Unibar was tricky because we were shooting all eight episodes at once because of this one director. So, that made it that much more of a challenge. This show, we make an episode basically every eight or nine days. So it feels like you're doing a half of an action feature film every <laughs> nine days uh, with basically nine days of prep for it. So it's it's very fast paced and, and in half hour television is no, I'd say it's, it's the pace is even quicker because you're making a show in four or five days. So you really yeah. only have five days to read a script come up with a concept for the design, design it, have a drafts person draw it up, and then have construction build it, and then have set deck dress it all within a four-day window. Wow. Uh, it's just, it, it, it sometimes feels like you're putting out a fire more than you are uh, designing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, learning, learning the pace of television is a, is a, is a totally different beast than, than say features. Uh, yeah. You know, just looking back on Team America or Memento, it seems like those were luxuries. <laughs> the amount of prep time that you have, and and uh, you know the amount of, of sets, though there was a lot in Team America. There was mm -hmm. a, a lot because everything had to be built from scratch, unless we adapted. Um, yeah. You know, I designed the exterior of Kim Jong Il's palace for the movie because they wanted it all to be done out of Chinese food containers. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I went down to Chinatown in Los Angeles and basically just bought a whole array of different containers and to figure out how to make all of the you know ramshack roofs and 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 all the shanty towns around Kim Jong Il's palace. Yeah. Uh, for that. So yeah. That's my architecture degree. Uh, <laughs> Getting to work, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, so, two final questions that we yes. always ask people. First is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Well, naturally, I'm I, like everybody in the world. I'm I'm definitely addicted to Game of Thrones. Yeah. So, since I'm up in Canada right now, I'm not able to get the HBO uh, no. now. So I'm, I haven't been able to watch any Game of Thrones this whole season. Oh, so God. I'm 
I'm behind on that. There's shows that I watch when I'm not with my wife, and there's shows that I watch when I'm with my wife. <laughs> uh, shows that I'll definitely watch without my wife are tend to be a little darker, like Strain. I think is phenomenal. I uh, yeah. I really love the Strain. Um, shows that I watch with my wife are more that I still think are incredible. My last show that I did a whole binge watching was Sense Eight. Right. Was yeah. About the best looking show visually I maybe have ever seen, and and uh, was very depressed when I came to the final episode, and then. And had heard that uh, they were not picked up for <laughs> additional season, so I was yeah. I was a little crushed. So I was late to the game on Sense Eight and just basically finished binge watching that maybe three or three weeks ago. <laughs> well, there yeah. is a movie coming. So well, just heard uh, the guy um, uh, guy on our show now, Darcy, who is our uh, he drives our scout van. Yeah. Is, very up to date on everything television and film and he told me two days ago that uh, that they were doing a film for sensei so i actually do feel much better about recommending it because i was hesitant to recommend it before only because you get to the final episode of that second season and yeah you know that nothing's going to get resolved now yeah. because it kind of just when it there's such a huge build-up um so yes i was crushed by that but i still thought the show looked absolutely incredible and i have no idea how they make the same thing with um game of thrones i I don't know logistically how they they do that in you know in that many countries and Mm. coordinate the thing and i i can't imagine yeah there is a documentary floating around i i know they they ran it over here so i'm assuming it's probably on hbo somewhere but um there is a documentary on them doing a day in the life of game of thrones it's insane yeah i can only imagine because it's not like a show like this where you can just go uh out to the the prop house and get a present day gun if you know all of a sudden you forgot something and you need to scramble you know having every weapon made every piece of clothing made uh mm. Oh, horse-drawn carts, you know, everything has to be basically done from scratch on that scale in that many different countries. I, it, it, that definitely boggles yeah. my mind. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that's done. Well, they, yeah. I, are like, and I'm sure every, every episode for them, even though it's wildly popular, it's still, they probably don't have enough money to do what they want to do. And so I'm sure for them, just like us, every episode is a fight with producers about, you know, where your budget's coming in at. And, you know, they always want you to cut 20% out no matter what. I can, I can't even imagine how, how they do it with separate crews all over the place yeah yeah no it's insane the uh oh, the the funny thing that came out recently was the fact that the uh you know the the furs that like john snow wears yeah. they're like uh, rugs from ikea <laughs> really yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of fantastic it's brilliant <laughs> is that well, awesome yeah they should look it up online that there are stories floating about yeah that was a few weeks ago that came out the uh the they're actually rugs from ikea apparently i, I think that's great yeah, that's, that's fabulous so much better so the the last question uh if you had the opportunity to work on any show past present or future not a show you've been on which show would it be yeah yeah that's a tough one also because i've always dreamed about doing a show like game of thrones um because i do love you know that sort of or vikings even yeah i I think you know those historical shows or fantasy historical shows 
I really think those would be fun. One side of me would absolutely love to do that. The other side that feels like he needs a little bit of a break because he's been working for two years straight, <laughs> um, just gets stressed out about thinking about the logistics of actually making those shows. So I would love to work on a show like Game of Thrones. Yeah. But I'm, I would also be terrified right now of <laughs> the stress and anxiety it would take <laughs> to make a show like Game of Thrones or Vikings or, or any of those shows. But yeah, Vikings is another show that... Yeah. Uh, to, the, to the previous question that I, I am also uh, I'm also a season behind on, but think is just an incredible show and the scale and scope of it. Mm. But yes, so I would love to work on one of those shows, but I also know how much work goes into those shows and the stress level of the production designers and the costume designers and, and the cinematographers must just be sky high. You know, yeah. it's one of I would imagine the attrition rate for some of the people working in their departments has to be pretty, pretty high because it's just the anxiety has to be way up there. So I'm of two minds. I'm torn. <laughs> Love Game of Thrones, but it feels like right now it would put me in an early grave. <laughs> well, I, yeah, there's, see, there's a couple of problems with Game of Thrones as well. In that, in that uh, I, well, either Game of Thrones or Vikings, you'd have to move to Ireland. So, you know. Um... <laughs> my, uh, my whole mother's family is from uh, originally from County Cork, and, <laughs> and I've not yet been to Ireland, so I would, uh, I would, I would love it. There you go. There you go. Uh, oh, Vikings has just been renewed for a sixty season as well. Oh, I know thing. Oh, that's fantastic. So, hey. you, see, you check out the website. We got all this news on that. <laughs> that's it. I, I bear, yeah, it's finding the time when you work on these shows, especially hour-long dramas. Well, really, any show. But, you know, we're we're bopping around, especially on a show that is supposed to, you know, about seals, but. Unibar was the same way. It was almost 80% of it was on location, you know, yeah. uh, location. So you're driving. We're in a scout van on this show for on average six hours a day. Sometimes it's 10 to 12 hours a day. So oh, wow. finding that time to get into a new series is always tricky. Mm. That's kind of why this whole uh, development of DVR and being able to binge watch shows or, uh, or Netflix is kind of perfect for us in this business where you only get uh you know usually try and catch up on sleep on a saturday so you get sunday to do a little bit of binge watching and and uh yeah. it's the only way you can kind of keep up to date on anything which is you know good and bad but it's also why i'm a year behind on several shows that i would <laughs> love to love to keep watching <laughs> yeah yeah you need a break i think <laughs> yes. and i'm yes. sure your wife will be happy to see you <laughs> she it's it is somewhat of a you know if an amazing project came up i would have to have a long conversation with with her but she is very much motivating the me taking a little time off at the end of this show and and taking a little bit of break and that i very much owe her a very solid uh vacation somewhere yes. where she can also relax and and get out of los angeles <laughs> and not be a work vacation where she gets to hang out up in vancouver while i'm working yes yeah she's she's let me know that uh that uh, there is definitely <laughs> But there is a break coming in December, whether I want it or not. <laughs> there is a break coming one way or another. 
Happy wife, happy life. I, all, I told her whatever she wants. I have no control. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I, I, given how busy you are, and we've been on for like almost 50 minutes, I shall let you get back to your day. But it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been yeah, really fun. Um, I enjoyed it. Come back on next time you've, you know, after you've had your break and you're a bit more relaxed. <laughs> come back on. We can talk a bit more. <laughs> happy to. Absolutely. Awesome. Right. Have, have so, a great day. You too. Cheers. Bye. So that was the interview with Eric Carlson. Hope you enjoyed that. Manhunt Unibomber um, has, we believe, been picked up by Discovery UK, but they haven't aired it yet. But it's only sort of just recently finished airing in the US. So hopefully that'll come soon. Six, we believe, is going to be run on the History Channel either later this year or sometime early next year. We don't know quite when yet. So uh, that's Navy SEALs drama he's currently working on at the moment, which we talk about a little bit. And uh, episodes, as as I mentioned beforehand, episodes we think is going to be coming back before the end of the year. We've just got to wait and see. That's all the interviews out of the way. Next up, we've got some highlights for next week on TV. So, shows to look out for next week on TV. Uh, First off, we kick off with Peaky Blinders, which is back for its fourth season. That's on BBC Two on the 15th of November at 9pm. It looks like that's going to be really good. Scandal is on just after that on Sky Living. That's coming back for its seventh season. That's on the 15th of November at 10pm. Then on the 17th, we've got The Punisher, which is the latest Marvel Netflix show. That's coming to Netflix on the 17th of November, which sees the return of Frank Castle, who uh, popped up originally in Daredevil, now got his own series. That I'm massively looking forward to. And then The White Princess, which is the follow-up to The White Queen, which originally went out on BBC over here. The uh, White Princess has been picked up by Drama. That's on the 18th of November at 9pm. That will be airing over here. That's everything we've got for you this week. It will be back to a normal show next week. Uh, As I say, I'm away on a set visit on Monday, so I I will hopefully be able to tell you something about that when I get back. But um, have a great week, everybody, and uh, we will see you with more news next week. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.